Good evening. Tonight I'm going to be reading our scripture passage from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 39. After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. So tonight we have the privilege of hearing from Gordon Wallers again. And this is his third Sunday with us, and it will also be his final Sunday. We welcome him back, and we're looking forward to hearing him share with us. It's my last because if you've been here these couple weeks, you know we've been looking at Matthew's call and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John doesn't do it, so you're on your own for next week. Before we begin, let's do an experiment. I believe, I think I've said this even, that if you're a Christian and you're not in a meetup as found in meetup.com, glad you're not in my church, I'd be yelling at you because you should be involved. Um, and we'll get more into that again if I need to. But here's our experiment. I really love engaging the lost. I feel like that's something that I like to do. I feel God's pleasure when I do that. And I'm always ready to do that. So when I'm driving by Lake Merritt, I noticed, and now this is going to go into the imagination part of the story, there are people that like to race little boats. And they do that every weekend. They do it twice a weekend. They do it Sunday at 10.30 and Sunday at 6. I don't know if they do or not. I'm just saying this is the illustration. Just don't get panicked or don't want to leave if I get boring to join them. But we want to reach them for Christ. How do we do that? Here at Regen, we meet at 10.30 and 6. So how are we going to go reach them? Why don't we do this for just a minute? Meet somebody and this section come up with three good ideas how to reach them. This section come up with three good ideas how to reach them. And this section. Now, here's a, I'll give you a couple of other parameters. Um, as you could imagine, if we let our imaginations go with this, all these guys kind of look alike. They all wear flannel. They have trucker caps. They have jeans. And their girlfriends or wives all look the same, too. They look at something out of an 80s video. The hair is straight up. They're long hair, long nails. And their children are running around everywhere. And they are very religious about their boats. You have enough information. You've driven by them. This section come up with three good ideas. Together, you're going to have to talk amongst each other. I know, talking to each other in church is weird, but do that, do this, do that. You've got two and a half minutes, go.
Okay, and just so you know, as far as I know, there won't be any wrong, wrong answers. I just thought of this as I was walking in to the building. I didn't think of this, so. That being said, we'll start on the right side. What are your great ideas? All right. Middle group. Okay. And the left side. Okay. All right. So these are great ideas. So one of the things that usually happens when we think about reaching a different group is we, well, what if, what if we did this? What's wrong with this idea? You tell me. Let's put a big sign out there that says, Region Loves Boaters. Let's put it here, and then let's put a sign down there with an arrow pointing to Region. How many people think that would be a great idea? Good, I mean, because that, that doesn't really help us any, does it? What if we put signs down there that said, Region Loves Boaters Appreciation Supper? Anybody want to do that plan? A little closer, right? I mean, food's always good. Albert would be disappointed you're not involved with food, right? Does he talk about his love of food much? Okay. Yeah, loves food, right? All right, so what if we found out that actually, for some reason, one of us was watching ESPN 5, and on it they had a little motorboat races, and we found the champion, and oddly enough, he's a Christian, and he could come speak here. How about that plan? Regen loves Toby Kirk, world champion boat guy. I don't know. It's just hard to imagine how to engage people in a way that is sustainable because it would be good to do the plan of we'll go to the 1030 and the 1030 people will go to the 6. Would be we willing to do that all the time? And another problem that we didn't mention here is none of us look like the people I described. I mean, you know, Hudson Taylor had to kind of change his look, right? Missionaries sometimes have to change their look. So we've got to pick maybe instead of a spokesperson, someone to say, dude, you're now in flannel, and girl, now you go watch 80s videos and replicate. I mean, we're going to look different, and so we might be treated different. So we'd have to think through all those things. Imagine all that as we go into today's text. God, I'm thankful that we were able to preserve the words that you gave us as we look into Luke. I pray that the words that we talk about, that are dreamt about, that are spoken tonight, would not be just merely words or fanciful ideas, but they would be directly from you. And those the words that are from you, would they permeate our hearts, the words that are mine be forgotten. It's because of you we pray. Amen. Here we are in Luke 5. This is the third time we've heard the story of Matthew. Uh, after this, he went out, he being Jesus, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. First question for us tonight is, are you willing to leave everything to follow Jesus? Everything. Who you are, your skill set, your past, your future, your hopes, your dreams. Matthew is leaving it all. Luke says he's left everything. Sometimes when I'm in the city, I feel like because of the friends I am, the place that I live, I have relationships that to others make me suspect. Growing up in Montana, you did not want to be associated with the people that usually live in San Francisco. They were too liberal, they were too gay, they were too whatever. They were too not like us. Living in the city, I am good friends with a lot of gay men. When I get my hair cut, they play with my ears and blow in them sometimes, and they make jokes, and sometimes I've invited to parties, and I'm not invited with my wife. 
And I know, as much as I want to say, as I'm walking in the door, I'm married and I have children, and they're not here tonight because my friend invited me, that sometimes my reputation is changed. I'm seen as a date. Am I willing to let that go for the sake of Christ? Are we willing to say, as much as we don't like flannel, or some of us willing to put on flannel to say, I'm going to go put on flannel so that I'll be more relevant to people that like boat racing are? And I think we wonder if that we have to. Maybe we say, oh, we're individualistic. We can do those things. But it's odd here that when we're looking at Matthew, he says he left everything behind and he followed Jesus. Undoubtedly, he knew that there would be a change in his economic fortunes when he did that. Tax collectors made a lot of money. They were known to being shrewd. Surely he had heard Jesus. We know that he probably heard the Sermon on the Mount. He recorded it in his gospel. And he knew that pursuing money would not be something that this gang of however many at that time would be. And yet he chose to leave everything. Sometimes we like to leave everything, right? I like moving every five years of my life. I wasn't a military person. I might as well have been. We moved every five years. My dad was just one of those guys that he'd go to a church that was kind of in trouble. He'd fix it or close it, and we'd move every five years very faithfully. He moved for the last time when I was going into eighth grade. So, of course, I did eighth grade in high school, and that was five years, and so it was time for me to go on. I've actually replicated that pattern, and every five years I've moved. Only one time have I been somewhere seven years. I'm going into my fifth year in San Francisco, and all my peers are saying, are you going to stay? Anybody that knows me has asked me that question this year. You're going into your fifth year. Are you going to stay? And I think about that when I look at this thing, because one of the things about leaving all the time is anything I don't like about myself... I can leave in the last town I was at, right? Because the new people, they don't know me. All the bad stuff I left in Atlanta, I'm now San Francisco. The San Francisco people don't know, they don't have to know my business, my junk, my mistakes of Atlanta. And I like that. And it's not that I'm an evil person, I just like having a clean... My love language is whiteboard. just love whiteboard. It's fantastic. You write a bunch of things, you erase it, write a bunch of stuff. I love it. I have a huge one in my office. I'm not a detailed person, so sometimes I just... Write notes to myself, you know. Make sure you play more board games. I mean, some ridiculous things, right? Buy flannel. You might become a boater. doesn't matter. I, I just like writing on my whiteboard. I like new starts. So for me, it's not hard to conceive of dropping everything because I'm always ready to. But I'm not ready to drop everything. Really? Matthew did. His profession, he gave it up. His skill set. Gave it up. Maybe he used it. There's some instances that maybe in the scriptures we can see that. His friends, he, he's going to get new friends. And guess what? One of his friends is going to be a zealot. You know what zealots thought of tax collectors? That's a good friend to have. He gave that up to be that in that relationship. When we think of these boaters sometimes, it's hard to imagine that we would want to give ourselves up to people. But who's going to reach the boaters if we don't? We might be called to do that. Luke tells us that Matthew left everything. He rose and he followed him. We've seen this story before. We've gone through it a couple times. That Levi made a great feast from the house and there was a large company of tax collectors, sinners. They're reclining. We've talked about the reclining. We've talked about the feasting. And we've also talked about the Pharisees challenging, but we've never got to this other part of the story. And the reason I saved it for the third time is not so that we could have a third sermon, but Luke makes the connection by using the word and in there. If you look at the other ones in Matthew and Mark, he doesn't really have and. Sometimes he uses other conjunctions. But this time he says, and they said to him. So it kind of lends us to believe that this was part of that conversation. And they asked him. The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees. 
Just a quick time out. Who's asking this question? The Pharisees are asking it. They're asking in a weird third-person way, aren't they? The uh, disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees. That's just bizarre that they would ask about their disciples. And they say, you know, they fast often, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. A couple things are being said here. The Pharisees, as we know from our perspective, are always getting it wrong. They want fasting, should be feasting. They want this, they should do that. They want the law, he wants grace. They've always consistently made the wrong choices. You know we're the Pharisees, right? Don't imagine that we're not the Pharisees. We would be kind of offended if we lived back then. We'd be thinking, well, Jesus, what are you doing with them? We're doing the right thing. We're doing all the good things. Why do bad people seem to get the favor of other people? Why is Jesus spending time with them? I've worked for you. We're like the prodigal son. I've worked my tail off for you, Father, and you didn't give me any feast when I was working. To which the Father says, inadvertently, and you can see it maybe some parentheses, that fattened calf that we gave your brother, you could have had yesterday for supper. All you had to do was ask. And in the same way, the Pharisees are saying, what? what's going on here? You're, you're feasting with these sinners, these tax collectors. What about us? What about these disciples of John? You like John, don't you? What about his disciples? You're his cousin. Don't you care about those disciples? They fast. And what about us? We fast every Monday and Thursday. Pharisees are fasting twice a week. Why isn't that good? Well, we know one of the words that Jesus was, I desire sacrifice, Right? He doesn't want some ritual thing happening. And then he says to them this, which really would have got them incensed. Why does the bridegroom fast when the guests are there? I'm right here. I will be taken away, and when I'm gone, then they can fast. Sometimes in our angst, sometimes in our wishing that life was more fair, we don't understand how God's working, and we say, why can't it be more fair? I'm fasting. I'm doing these great things. And Jesus might say to us, but I'm right here. I'm accessible to you. You have my pleasure. We have to make sure that when we look at this account of of Levi, that we're on the right side of the equation. The Pharisees didn't seem to get it. Maybe even the disciples don't at some level because they, they, they defer the question. They're just happy they're eating, not fasting, right? They're like, yeah, we love these feasts. These rich tax collectors, more people, tax collectors for Jesus. That's what I've always said. You know, I mean, they're ready for the next party. And yet there's something sobering that says, but what is going on here? Because in the middle of it, Jesus kind of gives them foreshadowing and says, there's going to be a time that I'm not going to be around. And then they can fast. The story continues in Matthew, and it says that Jesus also tells them this parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and a piece uh, from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new will burst the skins, it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. This is harsh stuff that he's saying. He's giving them new wine. He's the God that created wine out of water. He's transcended time. I mean, he's powerful. And now he's saying, I'm not going to put in new wine into old wineskins. 
I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to put the new wine into new wineskins. I'm looking for the kingdom of God. I said this this morning. I, so in the morning and in the evening, just so you know, this is not what my people heard. You guys are getting a whole different series than they are. But I did say this exact phrase, and I will say it to you because I believe it completely. If you are into Christianity because at the end of the day when you die, you want to go to heaven, stop. So simple. You don't need to be here if that's your policy. That's an insurance policy. You may check out. But if you are about the kingdom of God and seeing it realized on earth, then come. And with this new wine teaching, Jesus is saying... You've got this old system in place, and it's not working. I've come to fulfill that. And in my fulfillment, you are going to learn some things new and do things differently, including feast when I'm here and fast when I'm not. What does that look like for us today, though? I was thinking through, what is a new wineskin? How does Jesus do that? And maybe reaching a little bit. But right now, one of the Christian buzzwords, if you've not heard this, I'm sorry to give you a new buzzword in the Christian lingo, is missional, right? That's kind of a big word. And we kind of adopt this word missional, and we really like it, and we say, oh, yeah, we're a missional church. I'm not at a missional church. I wish I was. I hope to be a missional guy. I hope they've been called that. But missional, the problem with it is it sounds so much like our word mission that we all say in the back of our head, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, oh, yeah, we're totally a missional church. And what we mean by it is we believe in evangelism. We believe in the good news. And someone says, hey, is Regen a missional church? Well, yeah, we believe in mission. We believe in evangelism. The dilemma is we are replacing the word evangelism for missional. And I'm suggesting tonight that we should not. Evangelism has this thing. And by the way, you all passed the test because every one of you, whether you realize it or not, said we would go down to the lake. Missional is about going. Evangelism, a lot of times, says, come here. We're going to start a revival. It'll start a Thursday night at 7.30, right? We, we have that kind of lingo. Or with evangelism, we have programs that we're going to fit into. We put things on paper, and they work sometimes still. The Romans Road, uh, the Bridge to Life. We can do a lot of different things. But missional goes beyond that in that it says that we are about proclaiming the Lord's reign in the kingdom everywhere. Is the Lord's reign ever extended more than it is today? For instance, we have 57 boaters and their wives and their children down there. They all receive Christ tonight. Is the kingdom larger? No, it is not. The kingdom of God needs none of us. He is God. He is king. He is ruler over everything with or without us. Will there be more people in the kingdom? Yes. But his kingdom is not expanded by people loving him more. His love expands the universe. His love is more than enough for everything. Our job is to proclaim that reality. That reality that he is Lord over everything. And there's nothing that I can do about it other than submit my life to him. It's tough because this is the Jesus that's talking to them right now. And the same things that I'm saying to you, the Pharisees are like, wait a minute. In the Torah, it says, and and I suppose we all do that to some different possibilities. We try to think of them in our heads why, oh, that's not what God's reign means. It means this. But when he's saying this, he's telling them, you're mistaken. 
I am the Messiah, and this is a new paradigm for you. In the same way, one of the paradigms that maybe we need to look at is, are we just trying to adopt the missional word to be cool? If we are, we probably need to retract that. Matthew says, I'm going to pour out my house to people. I'm going to open it up so that he can proclaim his reign. Not to expand the kingdom, it's big enough, but so that the reality of the kingdom can be explained to my friends. The problem is, in the last verse of our text, and no one after drinking old wine desires the new, for he says, the old is good. Being missional. This last three weeks we've been talking about going out of the church, going to the lost, the missio day. All of that is really, really hard and exhausting. You'll be rejected. There's a saying, I, I really like this. If people say yes to you all the time as you're talking about Christ, they don't understand you. It's when they say their first no that they finally understand what you're talking about. And then the conversation can begin. As a general rule, some people have miraculous decisions. I'm not negating that. But in the same way, he's saying here, and no one after drinking the old one desires new, he says the old is good. It's exhausting being missional. You will be exhausted. One of the things that should be said among the groups is, when we go, we'll always go as a group. Because if just one of us goes, there'll be an exception. This is the first year I didn't do pride since living in uh, San Francisco. I usually go down there, I have a booth, it's a reverse confessional booth, where I apologize that Christians have treated the gay community in bad ways and actually blocked Christ from them. And then I try to reconnect Christ to them. I didn't do it this year because as I was gaming with one of my gaming buddies and we were talking about it, he said, well, of course you would go. I, I expect you're the type of Christian that would go, but you'd be the only one to go. That kind of hurt. I thought, I don't want to be the only Christian that goes. I want it to be seen as the community of God cares about people, to go out to reach them at Pride Fest, to go out and reach them at Lake Merritt during the boater races with pirate ships, if need be, with little bottles of scripture. I don't know, but I want to be that guy. I want to be in a group of people. I want to be in a body of Christ that does that. I don't want it to be seen as the only one, because you know what happens? If you're the only one, first the non-Christians are going to say, yeah, but he's the only one. You've almost confirmed what he's believed, that the exception proves the rule. The other thing that happens if you have just one person going out and reaching is they feel kind of out of it and they start forgetting why they did it. And they get closer and closer to maybe heresy. But there's no one there to tell them they're drifting. There's no one there to say, hey, I think you've gone a little too far. There's no one to tell them, hey, I think that you've left Scripture behind, that you've actually missed the mark here. I don't think they're even telling them about Jesus anymore. There's no one to bring them back. And so we need to go in groups. We need twos. They were sent out in Scripture in twos. Why can't we do that? But none of you said that. None of you said you would do it individually. We said groups, so good on that. No one after drinking the old wine desires the new. He says the old is good because the old is comfortable. When's the last time somebody like Albert or maybe one of your elders, when's the last time you heard teaching that you said, that ruins everything I believe? I'm going to have to challenge. I'm going to have to do something different. I can remember a couple years ago, I, I was a prodigal son, not in the literal sense, I didn't, I've never left my faith, but I, I was the prodigal son brother in that I believed if I worked my butt off that God would do something for me. I felt like God owed me something. I'd never had bad experiences, I didn't leave my faith, I've never been drunk, I didn't do illegal drugs, I've been a good guy, tried my hardest, kept my nose clean, 
Why isn't God blessing me? You should have blessed me, God. I totally missed the sonship. I was putting myself in like a servant of God. I didn't feel the warmth, the love, the embrace of a father and a son. And that was a huge paradigm shift. And I can remember saying, I've got to change everything. I remember a couple of years ago reading Mike Frost for the first time. He's a theologian from Australia. And when I read him, I just thought, I'm totally not thinking about Christ in the way I should. If there are not moments in your life that you're pausing and you're reflecting and saying, I wonder how this meshes with what I know, maybe you're not reading enough. Maybe you're not listening enough. Maybe you're not engaging Christ enough. Because Matthew, when he was faced with this, left everything behind to follow Jesus. What does incarnational look like to Matthew? Well, let's look at what we've capped off. He leaves everything behind. Leaves his reputation, his job skills, who he is. He follows Jesus. Second thing he does is he goes to his home and says, I'm going to open up everything I know to be to God. I want Christ to meet all my friends, no matter how weird that makes me look. You've got to imagine there were tax collectors going, what has Matthew done? I like this guy. He's got some great stories. Those some incredible miracles. But we know from Scripture, people walked away from Jesus. I would imagine that people walked away from Matthew's house that night saying, What has Matthew done? Cuckoo! Matthew didn't care. He opened up his house. He didn't mind being identified with sinners and tax collectors because he realized he was one of them. He engaged who he was. One of the things that we said last week that he understood was when Jesus answered, he encouraged those that didn't believe and he informed those that did. Are you an encouragement to those that do not believe? The biggest paradigm of Scripture for me is this. How can I read the New Testament in seriousness and say, everywhere Jesus went, non-Christians said, this guy's incredible. we got to go see him. And in 2012, everywhere I go, people say, he's a Christian. I don't want to be seen with him. That's sobering. How can that be? What have I done to Jesus that makes him so unattractive? What have I done that when people look at me, they don't say, there's somebody that gives life? I mean, I want to be around that guy. Great parties, drinks too much, eats too much. That's the kind of guy I want. I mean, Jesus was called a drunken glutton, right? you got to earn that reputation. Maybe I'm bigger than I should be. My point, my hope, my dreams would be for us these last three weeks, if we looked at Matthew's life, we would say, this guy's inspirational. I think I could be him. I don't know if I could be a super Christian, but I could be Matthew. I could open up my relationships to Christ. In fact, if I couldn't open up my relationships, I would join a meetup.com, just like Gordon always talks about, and find a group that I could. Meetup.com, meetup.com, meetup.com. No pressure. I imagine that I could not only give all my relationships to Christ, I could give my reputation to him. I imagine that I would want those conversations about fasting versus feasting to happen at parties that I met. Instead of politics, instead of the latest movie, instead of whatever. Let's have real conversations about life change. I'll invite those conversations into my parties. And lastly, I'm not going to try to put new wines into old wineskins. It's okay. When I do new things, I will do new things. And when I do old things, I'll do old things. Rick Warren says it takes all kinds of churches to read all kinds of people. And that's true. We need to be those kind of people. But if we're always the one type of people that are always just looking for we four and no more, if we're only the kinds that say we four no more, shut the door, we have missed the mark and we've missed what the last three weeks have been about. 
Matthew is saying, will you get up and go with him? On Wednesday night, my mom called me out of the blue. She lives in Montana still. 9.30 at night, wants to know what I'm doing. I'm watching Hell's Kitchen with my daughter. And I say, I'm watching Hell's Kitchen with Kezia. And my mom said, what are you doing Friday night? I said, I don't know. Sleeping, I hope. I don't, I, I don't know. Whatever. And she said, you know, Glenn Campbell is on his farewell tour. Now, just so you know, I love Glenn Campbell. Up until just recently when U2 was at the arena, that Glenn Campbell concert I saw back in 03 was my number one concert. And so U2 beat that just barely. And so she says, I think he's close to you. We should go see him. I said, well, where is he? And she said, Sandy, Utah. If you don't know Sandy, Utah, Salt Lake. That's not close to me. Well, what about L.A.? No, I'm not an L.A. kind of guy. I'm just, I don't care for L.A. Which was Sunday. Which He's tonight in L.A. at the Hollywood Bowl, which would be really cool. Best place to see him. But I wanted to be with you people more. And I really love Glenn Campbell. Then she said, well, on Friday night, he's in a town called Santa Rosa. Jackpot. So my mom in Montana on Wednesday night, we make the agreement. She flies in Thursday. We went Friday. It was fantastic. He has Alzheimer's now. He's forgetting lyrics. But when he plays the guitar, oh, my gosh. It, vintage Glenn. And, and I was thinking as he's playing, like, all through my life, how much I've loved this guy and how incredible he is. And he said something at the end. I just, he's got Alzheimer's. It's terrible. If you know anything about Glenn Campbell, you have to know the name Jimmy Webb. Wrote most of his songs. And Glenn says, there are two people in my life I don't deserve. God and another guy. He lost it. He just forgot. He forgot there was Jimmy Webb. And he was like, uh. And he kind of turns to the keyboardist and the keyboardist said, Jimmy Webb. Jimmy Webb. And I thought, I wonder if I'm like that. There are two people in my love in my life. Leanne and... Jesus, because my actions have to match up with what I'm doing. I want to be the guy that when Jesus walks by me, says, follow me, I get up and follow. Because if I don't, Jesus is going to be singing that Glenn Campbell song. By the time I get to Phoenix, he'll be crying. Because he's going. I need to follow him. Let's follow the Missio Dei. Let's follow Jesus into your very lives. Let's follow him to see how he will bless others through you. That's what these three weeks have been around. Thanks for letting me share that with you.